Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is a podcast from the Smart Material Collective, made by nerds, funded by the listeners. Hello and welcome to Why Aren't You a Doctor Yet Now? This week, Sahel, he's gone out and he's done what he does best. He's interviewed someone with an incredibly fascinating story about their life. So I'm here with George. Uh, he's wearing a flat back cap. How do you describe that? Uh, I'm just like that, you know. Yeah. Back to front. Back to front cap. He's got glasses on. He's got a nice check shirt. You look like a cool dude. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, you're average scientist. You're probably more familiar with me. We're wearing a red tabard, you know, which uh, which I don't wear now either. George, tell me about how we first met. We first met because after years of working in the NHS and clinical psychology and mostly in psychiatric settings, I found myself after the financial crash being financially wiped out and penniless and walking the streets in London and ended up selling the big issue and I sold the big issue outside the BBC and that's where I met Suhail. Where are we now by the way? We're in the BBC, I'm no longer outside, I'm inside. You inside what? In this weather you know it's quite cold outside you know it's, it's a lot better in here than out there. I mean, so let's, touching on that, it's, that's a tough job, isn't it? Like, being a big issue seller. Like, it's one, I imagine it's extremely... You've got to have thick skin to do it, is what I'm saying, because it's cold and pe- people are cold as well. Yeah, the, there's, the, there's the weather aspect, you know, is variable. In the winter, it can be quite demanding. It can be physically quite demanding. It takes a lot of energy out of you. But emotionally, it, it's probably more difficult for many people because you're continually in the verge of trying to interact with people and give your best shot, you know, to try and get a kind of positive engagement and 99% of people just ignore you, you know, and and so you, you need to have that little bit of resilience, you know, that you can deal with that rejection and and not everybody's able to do that. I wrote a little paper recently, I, I've slipped into writing academic articles and they're all peer-reviewed and and I'd written some many years ago as an undergrad, and I wrote one recently on something called borderline, borderline personality. The major trigger is social rejection. So, you know, for selling the big issue, you're continually having to deal with social rejection. So if you have a, a, a kind of borderline 
hypersensitivity to social rejection, the big issue is not for you. It's like constantly, if you're constantly getting, like asking people out and getting rejected like on dates, that's a painful thing for people to go through, isn't it? It's a, it's a painful thing. And the thing is, for the, the idea of calling it borderline personality, a lot of people habituate to that, you know, and, and everybody has kind of, you know, nightclub experiences or getting rejections and things like that. And then it enamors you a little bit and you, you, you get strengthened in the basis of it. But for people with borderline, they've got kind of a, a, a biological dysregulation of their, of their emotional system and a sensitivity to social rejection. So they don't really kind of habituate to, you know, you don't go through it a hundred times and, oh, I can deal with it now, you know. It's very difficult for, for people to manage. And the consequences are often when they feel that with any intensity, they start self-harming, you know, and maybe cutting themselves and putting cigarettes out in their, in their arms, you know, that kind of thing, or, or overdose and a lot of suicide attempts. So is, the, that um, is, is that something that you've seen firsthand then, or have experienced yourself? It is something, um, uh, you know, you have to count your blessings, you know, and unfortunately it's not a, a, you know, a personal issue for myself. When I worked in psychiatric settings, I'd say... Every single woman that I saw in the addiction service would at one time have been classified as borderline personality. If you've got difficulty in dealing with emotions and having, you know, your emotions quite dramatically going very high, you might one day think somebody's up on a pedestal and, and you see them in the street the next day and they're preoccupied and they walk by you and and then you, 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 you take it personally and maybe start you know, you can start self-harming or, you know, a suicide attempt. It, it really can be rather minor little social rejections that can trigger quite dramatic consequences. People with borderline, you know, often use drugs or they use alcohol to try and control the feelings. If you're feeling suicidal and you want to hurt yourself and, and you start taking a bit of heroin or you start taking a lot of benzodiazepines, then you can find you can change your mood. And so the majority of people, majority of the women, a lot of men as well, uh, within the addiction service, a lot of people that we see, people would maybe disregard as junkies or, you know, that may well be some of the underlying problems that they have. They may actually have a condition, you know, that is to do with, a, it's almost like the self-medication uh, through taking illicit drugs or through taking excessive amounts of alcohol. It's a way of treating themselves, you know. And in an interesting way, even though it was largely unintentional, your experience has given you a unique insight which perhaps other academics might not have into these kind of social issues, you might say. In selling a big issue, I was asked to coordinate things locally, you know, as well as selling outside the BBC, I was asked to um, be a kind of what they call a local distribution point. So it's almost like a mini shop in the street and everybody that sold the big issue around about the Oxford Circus area in London. Would, would come to me and, you know, and I would deal with the money and bank the money for the big issue. And because of that, you, you, you know, see a whole array of different people, you know, and, and, and with all sorts of different problems, you know, and, and backgrounds, psychiatric backgrounds and, and drug-related backgrounds and, and other things that are associated with that. A sizable percentage of people for whom the classif classification of borderline would almost undoubtedly have been given at some point in the past. It's one of the consequences of poor understanding of the biological underpinnings of psychiatric conditions. 
can get in proper treatment that actually deals with the biology that underpins it. From your insight, why is there a lack of uh, diagnosis of this issue and what can we do to better help people in this in the situation that you found yourself once in? Myself personally, you know, I'd, I'd, you know I'd, I'd walked the streets, I, I'd, you know, not for that long, you know, I'd, I actually went into a police station and asked for the advice, you know, so... It's not something that I was wanting to adopt as a lifestyle. I was I was wanting to move on quickly, and I, I did that. I managed to find a, a cheap hostel and, and and kind of moved on. In many ways, you know, my experience of, of working in psychiatric settings and dealing with people in dif- difficult circumstances and how you cope with things, and and rather than becoming self-loathing and and ended up treating yourself badly and making a lot of of bad decisions that's going to put you in a worse situation it's almost like you feel that rejection for others and you start punishing yourself you know Uh, and 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 i was aware of that and managed not to do that but not everyone is able to do that and often the decisions they make you know just seem can seem quite self-punitive it's almost like they internalize the, the rejection from others or the wider societal rejection but the, but the big issue in, in psychiatric classification is that the, the everything is used as every diagnosis is based on signs and symptoms it's not based in any biology and I think what I've kind of moved into in terms of recent work in the last couple of years and uh, writing academic papers is trying to look at the biological underpinnings. You know, if somebody's depressed or if somebody's got borderline or, you know, what is the actual change in the biology and how do you shape up appropriate medications that would help to correct any biology that's wrong? You know, and like any other medical condition, you expect to take medication that is actually targeting and treating your condition. For people with borderline and often for many people with depression, up to about 40% of people with depression are what they call treatment resistant. You know, the, the medications available, the Prozac and the SSRIs and different types of antidepressants don't help them. And there's a lack of understanding, there's a lack of investigation as to what the biological processes are that underpin that. Why do you think there's a lack of incentive to figure this problem out? There's a lot of vested interests, you know. The, the, a lot of things in, in the academic world, you know, classically, the, the phrase they used to use was dead men's shoes. And the idea that a way of seeing things, a way of seeing the world, only change when the, you know, the professor or the head of department, you know, moved on. Yeah? And for many people in psychiatry in particular, you know, the, there's, there's still a legacy of kind of Freudian psychoanalysis and seeing things in very much a psychological frame of reference. You know, so it's very, very challenging for somebody who's trained in that, who sees themselves as an expert in the basis of this knowledge base, to have to almost like be a student again and take on a wider knowledge base about alterations in gut bacteria and alterations in the immune system. Many people that are unsuccessfully treated with depression, a very high risk of suicide, have been found in, in recent, in the last 18 months, to, to have substantial help from probiotic. You know, you know, it just it seems tangential. But the and and so that 
Yeah, that's the problem, you know, is that most psychiatrists couldn't, couldn't tell you anything about bike terror or how you would assess it or, what, you know. So there's a lack of a knowledge base, you know, and the structures that historically have been set in place that this is the way you conceptualise it. And it's challenging for many people who are in powerful positions, who have made up, who are professors of psychiatry or, or head of British psychiatry services or whatever it would be. They have a knowledge base it's quite threatening for them to actually have to update their skills. Yeah. No, I understand. It, actually, that's a very interesting point, and it's, I think it goes back to maybe not dogma, that's a strong word, but it's ingrained behavior and what's comfortable for people. But it's moving out that comfort zone into multidiscipline approach, which is what you're saying is effective. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Speaking about becoming a student again, you know, you've had this amazing journey where you've, you know, come down to London, you've, you've went through difficult times, but you've persevered and you've done really well and you're back writing academic articles. Just explain to me how that journey feels looking back at it. I saw a lot of patients over the years who would have been classified with paranoia, you know, and I think being wondering about a strange city, um... I started feeling a little bit paranoid. Where was a safe place? You know, why is that person looking at me? And so that, that was the, the kind of baseline experience in London, walking about at night, trying to look as though you're going somewhere, sitting at bus stops, you know. I started selling a big issue during the day to try and get some money. Uh, um, so it's been a bit of a sea change because I've now moved on. I'm, I've been a guest editor in biomedical journals, you know, I do peer reviews, professors of neurology, you know, I have to assess their papers for different journals and decide whether they're going to get published or not. And so within a few years, you know, it's been a kind of, a real sea change, you know, in terms of, from a day-to-day survival and how do I get by here and I hope it doesn't rain because nobody will stop and buy a big issue and, you know, how am I going to pay for the rent for the hostel for the night? And, and going from that kind of base to being involved in something totally different. 
But it, for me, it, it was uh, I try to integrate those experiences biomedical research that I'm involved in currently and writing and thinking about these things. In many ways, the things that have been hills for me to climb, that have been tragedies in my life, have allowed me to be in a position where I'm able to have a slightly different perspective and wider perspective sometimes. Life has pushed you towards the end of the pitch and so you have a slightly different perspective and things that can be quite challenging and can be quite fruitful. That if you haven't a different perspective in things, however you've came to that different perspective, that is something that has to be treasured and valued because it's the essence of creativity and helping things to move and hopefully helping things progress. And I see that in Big Issue Land, I see a lot of examples and I think of some of the people when I'm writing some of the papers that I'm writing. That's, that's, a, that's a nice thought, actually, that you would care about these people to that extent um, and, you know, that you're putting your intellect to good use in a way um and you know it's funny because i remember buying a big issue of you out, outside i used to buy a monthly i used to bring it down <laughs> i was like yeah let me get the month um because i saw something in you when i met you and i was like this is you're an interesting character and to see that journey from you know from you being a big issue seller to going on to publishing these academic articles and also as you say being a guest editor and you're doing some work with Wellcome Trust as well um, has been really inspiring um, I mean what would you say to someone who's kind of going through a difficult time who's struggling with their career or personal life what kind of message you have for them or words of wisdom I don't want to be sound too cliched you know but I, I think you, you do have to try and get a little bit of you that's looking in positive things and trying to get something and you, maybe past expectations and things you were hoping um, you have to kind of put them aside and, 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 and then embrace other goals and other targets that are that are maybe more realistic in your situation at a given time. And I, I think I mean, that's easier said than done, you know, and speaking to someone, you know, don't underestimate the, the benefits of speaking to somebody, that's, particularly somebody who's been through a similar type of process and getting a different perspective on it, you know, feeling that whatever the circumstances are that have put you in a difficult situation that there, there is a way out you're going to get up in the morning at some point and you're going to be looking forward to the day it's not always going to be a day full of misery and dread or anxiety or paranoia or emotional dysregulation or suicidal thoughts or whatever it would be there is hope and there's a bit of light at the end of the tunnel and there's a of moving on and I think if you have that even if it's just a little bit of you to remind yourself that that is a possibility it does keep you going and does keep you motivated and keeps you thinking and hoping and I, th I think that's important I think subjectively that's important you know that's very wise words and I appreciate them George you're an excellent man and an absolute fucking legend if I do say so myself what are your hopes for the future what are you doing now uh, and tell me about your work with the Welcome Trust and the Welcome Collection well, the, uh, when, I, when I was with the big issue, uh, I managed to get a day's placement um, once a week in the Welcome Trust for, for over a year. Uh, for people not familiar, the Welcome Trust is a, it's a charity that funds biomedical research. 
It's one of the, one of the largest uh, in the world. It's, it's based in London, very well known, very well respected, and uh, throughout the kind of biomedical world. It was a good opportunity for me with the kind of background that I had. And I remember I got this through the big issue. You know, I, I didn't walk up to the door and shut the door and get invited in. You know, it was through the big. So I need to be grateful for the big issue for you know looking to open doors that were appropriate for me as they do for other people. I'm, I'm hoping to continue writing the biomedical articles. I'm hoping to get some funding through the Wellcome Trust in order to do that. Maybe even, you know, put out some podcasts or something like that, you know, in different conditions, different disorders, having a little bit of kind of everyday knowledge in these conditions and maybe saying a little bit about the biology and, uh, uh, you know, in a way that would be people would hopefully would understand. For me, it gives me a, a sense of purpose. You know, you're getting up and you feel as though you're, you're going to do something. You feel as though in yourself, you feel as though it's worthwhile rather than having to drag yourself into something and, and hating it, you know, and just wanting to pay the mortgage pay the rent. So how can people access some of your work? I've got a domain called georgeandersonresearch.com. Most you know, articles and things are available in there. I do little blogs. Some of the articles are quite heavy going. They're, they're geared towards an academic audience and geared towards trying to improve understanding of the biology and, and therefore improve the treatment for a whole host of different conditions. But I try to put in a kind of everyday blog along with that that says something, you know, that everybody would understand about what the essence of the article is and uh, the contribution it's trying to make. Last question, and this is the toughest one I'm going to ask you for the whole uh, interview, is what's your favourite biscuit and why? <laughs> my favourite biscuit? And why, and why though? <laughs> oh, my favourite, I'll be honest, I think my favourite biscuit was always a fig roll. That's fancy. Yeah, it's quite fancy, you know, and, and, and I just enjoyed, you know, the, the little the little juicy figgy bit inside it, you know, like kind of slightly crusty shell and then getting into the juicy bit. So. That's, that's how I describe myself in dating profiles, so <laughs> I don't get a lot of matches. Um, thank you for your time, George. We love having you on the show and hopefully see more of your work. Um, and if there's any um, academic people out there, get him involved. He's a good guy. Peace out. Thanks for your help. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.